verses 12 to 17 today. Now, while you're turning there, just want to mention a couple things. For those who uh, came in late, I'm glad that you are here this morning. Uh, we understand with the weather out there that it took a little extra time today. Uh, but please read through your bulletin uh, after the service and take note of those announcements that are there. We do have a Thanksgiving Eve service coming up on Wednesday evening and uh, the other special programs that are coming up in December. And you can purchase tickets for those starting today. Uh, also, um, just want to mention again, if some of you weren't here last week to hear me say this, and you're wondering why my face is so red, uh, no, I haven't been skiing or snowboarding or things like that. Um, I'm uh, actually starting the last week of a skin cancer treatment. It's a topical cream that I put on a couple times a day, but it basically uh, kills off any precancerous cells. So uh, it's just a preventative measure trying to take care of that. And uh, it looks like a sunburn, and it feels like a sunburn and all of that. But I am praying that it's doing its work and taking care of any potential risk that I have there. So thanks for your prayers for that, too. I want to turn to the scriptures now, to chapter 2. We're going to be looking again at verses 12 to 17. Let me read that for us this morning. Paul writes, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ... And found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Let's pray. Father, as we move into this part of 2 Corinthians, um, we hear Paul's heart for ministry. We understand how much he went through for our sake to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and we are the recipients of that today. And we thank you, Father, for his courage, his faith and perseverance. And Father, would you help us to have that same kind of heart, a love for you and a love for people that desires all men to be saved, to come into a relationship with you. Help us to be your witnesses today in this world. Amen. Have you ever been given a responsibility that was bigger than what you thought you could handle? Probably all of us can think of points in our life when we've been given tasks or assignments that were bigger than maybe what we thought we could do. I had an experience of that that came pretty early on in my life. I don't remember if I was, uh, you know, eight or nine years old, but uh, here's the situation. My dad put me behind the wheel of an enormous grain truck, and he wanted me to drive it to the other end of the field. I don't remember the age I was. I just remember that I couldn't both touch the pedals and see over the steering wheel at the same time. So it's like I had to do one or the other. 
And before you think my dad was crazy in doing this, let me explain the situation. At harvest time on a farm, it is all hands on deck. You need everybody working. And on this particular day, there was nobody else to drive the grain truck to the other side of the field when my dad was harvesting with our combine. And so he wanted me to take it to the other end so that when he got there, he'd be able to dump another hopper load of grain. Well, what Dad did was he got the truck going, you know, he had the clutch out and the truck is moving along and he just set the throttle so that all I had to do was steer this thing down the field and when I got to the end, my assignment was to kind of jump down, push in the clutch and turn off the key. Mission accomplished. But I remember driving that that truck thinking... Can I really do this? You know, that's kind of like when you see that today and you think about those situations that happen on the farm, you kind of wonder about that. With little kids being given great responsibility, and yet time and time again, it worked. Now, there's something good about being stretched and given responsibility that's more than what we think we can handle. In the spiritual realm, it makes us dependent upon God. God gives us an assignment. And maybe it is related to our work. Or maybe it's a ministry assignment. Or maybe it's a challenge that's come up at home. We all face them. All of us in our life are going to have times or experiences when we feel inadequate. Sometimes parents feel that and the challenge of parenting. I'm not sure how to handle this or what should we do. Sometimes it's dealing with a disability, an accident, or an illness. And you wonder, can I really do this? And maybe it's as a caregiver for someone else that you are feeling overwhelmed. That can be a good thing when we learn to trust God and see Him work in the circumstances of our life. What I want to share with you this morning from this passage is that that's the way the Apostle Paul felt. Paul felt like that too. When he thought about the responsibility that he had been given as an Apostle. I mean, he looked at this task that God had given to him to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, who weren't exactly, in many cases, waiting to hear this good news. And Paul suffered much to bring that gospel to those who had never heard it before. And he knew that in his ministry to some, it was the fragrance of life, and to others, it was the smell of death. And he said, who is equal to such a task who is equal to such a task the answer is no one no one is qualified in their own strength to do these things it is God who makes us adequate for the task of ministry and what we're going to look at today in this passage is really the first of a two-part message Paul gives us in this section coming up four reasons why we can be confident in ministry. Why we can do the things that God asks us to do. And today I'm going to talk about two of those. And then next Sunday, uh, Pastor Jason's going to be bringing the message. And he's going to follow up and share the other two reasons. So take good notes and we'll jump into the text here. Number one, we can be confident in ministry because God is the source of our ministry. God is the source, and He is the one who is at work in us. Take a look again at verses 12 and 13. And the setting is this. Um, 
Paul had been in Ephesus where he had ministered for almost two years. Quite a long time that he was there, but there had been these riots that had occurred, and now there was this unrest. And so Paul came to the point where his ministry there was such that he needed to leave. He was also concerned about what was going on in Corinth. And so he had written letters there and he had sent Titus, his associate, to check on the church. And then they had made this arrangement that they were going to come back and Titus was going to meet Paul in Troas. Now the city of Troas is on the coast of Turkey. It is where the Strait of the Dardanelles begins. If you know where that is, that strait leads into the Black Sea. And so they were to come to that area and they were to meet at a designated time. So Paul goes to Troas. While he's waiting, God opens a door for ministry and he begins to preach the gospel there and he is having a wonderful response. People are coming to know Christ. People are getting saved. It's beautiful. But Paul says, I had no peace of mind. I had no peace of mind. Because Titus was not there, and there was no word on Corinth. And he wondered what had happened. And here Paul is, and he is emotionally torn. I mean, what should he do? Here's this great opportunity for ministry. Do I stay? Do I continue here? But he has great concern over Titus and the church at Corinth. Do I leave? Do I go and try to find him? What should I do? Ministry is like that, isn't it? There are many times in ministry when we need to make choices about what we are going to do. There are open doors and opportunities to serve over here, but you have a burden for this situation here. You know, I face that as a pastor. I mean, all of us who are pastors here uh, run into those things. There's a need to do preparation and study and sermons but there are people to see and there are people to visit there are new people there are people in the hospital I mean there's all kinds of challenges there are opportunities to disciple and teach and work with others and you're wrestling with all of those needs that come up in any given week there are crises and sometimes you kind of move on to the next crises and you feel a little bit bad because you know that there are people that you still need to give attention to and help and certainly to pray for and all of those things are kind of like balls that you're trying to keep in the air and you wonder at times what should you do god what is it that you want me to do today and just like paul we pray and we say, God, would you help us? Would you lead us to know what, it, what is the right thing to do? And so what Paul did in this situation is Paul left Troas. He closed down the crusade. I mean, this would be like Billy Graham, you know, calling off a crusade in a city where things were going great because he was concerned about his associate, Leighton Ford, or someone else. And he just leaves. He says goodbye to them. He will return at a later time. But he was so burdened in his heart for Corinth that he could not stay and preach effectively. It's really consistent with how Paul felt about the churches that he started. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 28 and 29, he says this, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. He says, who is weak and I do not feel weak? 
Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? You know, in that chapter, as you recall, Paul shares all of these things that he went through, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the imprisonments, the dangers, the hardships, the hunger and the sleeplessness, all of those things that he built. But the climax of that passage, the greatest burden Paul carried was his concern for all of the churches. That's the climax of all of this suffering that he went through. The biggest burden he had was for the churches to survive and to grow and to minister, to really understand the gospel and share that good news and be effective in reaching their cities and their surrounding areas for Christ. It is what is called the weight of ministry. Paul's heart is the heart of a shepherd a pastor who is concerned for his people. And so Paul goes to Macedonia and he doesn't meet Titus for a while. He's there and he's still struggling emotionally. It is one of the hardest experiences of his life that he goes through. Waiting and wondering. You know, there's no cell phone to pick up. There's no fax to be sent. There's no easy, quick way to communicate and find out what's going on. And his heart is breaking. It's grieving. And then comes this time when he is reunited with Titus and he will tell about it in chapter 7. And Titus brings a good report. The church at Corinth had responded to Paul's letter. They had done the right thing. They were back on a solid footing. And Paul rejoiced. And he praised God. And then from the end of chapter 2, to the beginning of chapter 7, we have what is called the Great Digression in 2 Corinthians, where Paul shares about his calling as an apostle and the work that God has called us to as Christians so personally. I love this section of Scripture. I I love hearing Paul's heart and the things that he shares there that apply to each of us so personally too. In this passage, Paul praises God for two things. He praises Him because God always leads us in triumph when we walk with Christ. God always leads us in triumph. We may not always feel like that emotionally. In fact, we may feel like we're getting beat up. We may feel like we're going through trials or setbacks. We may be aware of our own personal weakness. But God always leads us in triumph when we walk with Christ. The picture that Paul uses here is that of a Roman triumphal procession. And Paul compares this irresistible advance of the gospel to a Roman triumphal procession. And what's he talking about? Well, in just a few days, we are going to have Thanksgiving, and one of the traditions that goes with Thanksgiving is the annual Macy's Day Parade. Some of you will probably watch that. And we have parades at other times of the year, like New Year's Day, you know, you've got the Rose Bowl Parade, or Fourth of July, there'll be parades in communities all across the country. And Rome had parades that were quite significant. The triumphal procession was a lavish parade that was done in Rome to celebrate great victories 
in strategic military campaigns. There are over 350 triumphs that are recorded in the history of Rome. And the greatest honor that a Caesar or a Roman general could ever have would be to lead one of these parades. To be that person who was recognized. I mean, they would line the streets with people. There were bleachers set up, you know, so people could cheer uh, this conquering general as he came home. And what would happen in these parades is you'd have wagons load of the uh, spoils of war, the arms of your enemies, uh, in terms of weapons. I'm talking about not literal arms, the weapons of your enemies. You'd have gold and silver and other riches. You would have the thrones of kings that were conquered. You would have the, the prows of ships that were laid on these wagons to demonstrate how many had been defeated in battle. I mean, this was a huge deal. And the victorious army would come marching into the city in their array. And then would come this conquering general. And the crowd would go nuts and cheering for him. And following the general would be the captives led in his train. The captives. The conquered armies. The conquered generals. The conquered rulers. And it was meant to show the power and might of Rome and to celebrate this great victory. The question is, how did Paul see himself in relation to this parade? He saw himself not as a victorious soldier, but he saw himself as a captive of Christ. He saw himself as one who had been conquered by this general, Christ. You see, Paul was an enemy of Jesus Christ. So were we. Paul was conquered on the road to Damascus when he was converted. And Paul's favorite description of himself after that was that he was a bondservant of Christ. He was a slave of Jesus Christ. He will say in 2 Corinthians that the love of Christ constrains me. It hems me in for I am convinced that one died for all and he died for all that we should no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. Paul was a captive led by Christ. And everywhere Jesus Christ went Paul shared in that victory but he also shared in the suffering of bringing the gospel to others. And Paul would say of himself that I am a trophy of his grace. You can go to the next slide. I am a trophy of his grace. What does that mean? You know, this last week in our church, we had a funeral service here for Vera Nelson. And in that service one of her children spoke. Uh, Dennis, the son, spoke on behalf of uh, the family. That's Jody's brother. And Dennis shared the struggles that they went through as a family. And he shared about his mother's prayers and desire to see them come to know Christ. And in that message, you know, he talked about his own struggle with addictions and how God had rescued him when he was running the other way. And he didn't use these words, but what Dennis was saying that day was that I am a trophy of his grace. And apart from the grace of God, I'd be 
dead or I would be a very different person today or I would be in prison or I would be somewhere else very, very lost. I am a trophy of God's grace. And all of us who have come to know Christ have a story like that. A story that we could tell of His grace of reaching down into our life whether it was at a young age or when we were older. And we became a captive of Jesus Christ. Now Paul goes on to tell a second part of this particular uh, custom in these Roman parades. He tells us here that through us, God spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. In these triumphant processions, as they made their way through the streets of Rome, the pagan priests would carry incense, and that incense would waft through the city. And everywhere in the city, you could smell this fragrant aroma as it began to permeate down the streets of Rome. And Paul says, that is what we are in this world. We are the aroma of Christ by our life, by our words, by our witness. We are the aroma of Christ in this world. And whenever we share the gospel, it is a pleasing aroma to God. Regardless of the response of other individuals because the gospel lifts up His Son. And the gospel does not allow people to remain neutral to those who believe it is the fragrance of life, to those who refuse it or ignore it, it is the smell of death. But everywhere we go, when we live for Christ and allow Him to work through us, we are that fragrant aroma. And you've probably experienced that. I mean, you've probably had people that know you're a Christian and you can see in some the response of that where they are drawn to you or where they have come to know Christ too and they rejoice and you can pray together and there's that great fellowship. But you probably have run into others, whether it's at school or work or in your neighborhood, who want nothing to do with you or avoid you or are very critical of you because you know Christ. Paul says it is an awesome responsibility to think that the message we share can bring life or death to those that we meet. Who is equal to such a task? Who is worthy or who's sufficient? Who's competent for such a task? No one. Paul did not feel competent or worthy for such a calling. But the good news is this that we don't do this in our own strength. It is God who makes us adequate. It is God who leads us in victory. It's God who manifests the aroma of Christ through us. We are simply the vessel. God is the source of our ministry. You can think about it in a passage in the Old Testament when you think about Moses. Remember when Moses was called to be this deliverer for the children of Israel. And initially what he thought that may have meant or what, when he saw the suffering of his people, he thought that he could take things into his own hands and he killed an Egyptian. And he settled a dispute his own way. And the word came out and Moses had to flee. The interesting thing about Moses' life is that when he thought he was qualified he wasn't and later when he thought he was not qualified he was 
And when God came and he met God at that burning bush and God called to him and Moses gave all kinds of excuses, who am I, Lord? Who am I? God had found a man that he could use. So if you don't feel qualified for ministry or you don't feel quite up to the challenge that you are facing, that can be a good thing when we learn to rely on God. Well, the second point I want to share this morning is that God is also the judge of our ministry. Are you familiar with the expression, God is the audience? And sometimes we'll talk about that in our worship teams or we talk about that you know, in terms of ministry, that the person that we strive to please is God. It's not people, it's not the expectations of everybody else, but ultimately the person that we need to serve and keep in the forefront of our mind is God himself. What is it that God wants to do? Are our motives pure? Are we doing this in a way that would honor and please him? Are we being faithful to his scripture, to the text? And apparently in Paul's day, there were many already who were preaching the word of God for personal gain. And he describes them as peddlers of the word of God. And he says in contrast, you know, that in verse 17, unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. Paul, when he went to these churches, was supported by others who helped him on his way, or he worked as a tent maker. He did not want to take money from those churches that he was establishing at that time. And he described others who came and preached just for gain as peddlers for profit. Now people knew what that meant. In the marketplace in those days, you couldn't always be sure that what you were buying was really what was being claimed to be sold. Gold was sometimes mixed with lead to give it the feeling of weight and it wasn't 100% gold. Vases could be cracked and filled with wax and sold as though they were perfect when they were not. Wine was sold often in what seemed to be a good form, but those who were selling it were diluting the other bottles or products, and when you got home, you would find out differently. They were hucksters. It was a sham. It was a fraud. And what peddlers learned was that to survive in the marketplace, well, you've got to make a profit. And a peddler needed to adapt to the market to give people what they wanted to hear. And so these guys that were rhetoricians that go around and spoke, you know, they spoke in a way that was entertaining, could build a crowd, could be attractive, and they did that for profit. And Paul said, we do none of those things. We do none of those things. Instead, in verse 17, he says, on the contrary, In Christ we speak before God with sincerity. Again, remember that Greek word, sincere means without wax. Without wax, like those vases that were filled in. Like men sent from God. Paul's concern was not with his popularity. His concern was pleasing God. His concern was to be true to the gospel that God had given him. You know, that needs to be our heart too. Whether we are sharing Christ with a neighbor or a friend or whether we have the opportunity to teach a Sunday school class or an ABF, lead a Bible study, 
or preach on a Sunday morning. We need to do this in a way that is true to the text and speaks God's word. I remember when I was in seminary, I mean, those points were really drilled into me. Don Guthrie said we should write as though God were looking over our shoulder. When we write out that message, when we think about what we're going to be saying, we should write as though God were looking over our shoulder, because He is. And Dr. Kaiser, who was here a few weeks ago and spoke, who I've shared was just a beloved mentor for me, Dr. Kaiser would frequently say that all sermons are reviewable on the final day. There is a classic painting that was done many years ago. I don't know who it was that did it, but it showed a little angel sitting at the foot of the pulpit taking notes. All sermons are reviewable on the final day. That's a sobering thing, isn't it? It is an awesome responsibility to speak the Word of God. I mean, who can do that? You know, No one can. None of us can claim to speak for God. But God does this amazing thing of calling weak, human, frail vessels to do His work. And He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who guides us in the preparation. He's the one who can make us adequate when we yield our life to Him and keep our finger on the text and pay attention to what He has said. No more, no less. And so my goal on a Sunday morning always is to be as clear as I can be to help you to understand the Scripture, to be as true to the text as I can in terms of this is what it says. Because one of the dangers in the church today, and this has really been a danger in all generations, is the temptation to water down the message and give people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And I get concerned at trends in our generation that move more and more toward making the service on Sunday morning entertaining. This isn't entertainment. What we are doing here is life and death. This is food for our soul. This is the Word of God. This isn't something that's supposed to be flashy or eye-catching or spectacular. It's supposed to be true to the Scripture. And Paul was criticized for that over and over again. Paul, you're not doing this right, you know. And Paul came in humility and he spoke the Word of God in truth. And God was pleased. In our generation, there are those who want to make the Gospel more palatable, water it down, or they adopt a doctrine of universalism that ultimately everyone will be saved. Or they'll say there's more than one way to God. Or they'll preach a gospel that promises health and wealth. Or a gospel that will make you comfortable or make life easy for you. I can't do that. Because that's not what the Scripture says. All we can do is share the truth of God's Word just as clearly as we can. You know, two weeks ago we were in Chicago and we went to the church where our son Matt leads worship. And uh, Colin Smith was there and he was the, uh, it was a video message actually that day. He speaks in the uh, parent church and they're in the church plant and so they had a video message that day. 
And as I was watching it and I'm listening to what he shares from Deuteronomy 29, 29, you know, it was just a solid message. I'm going, this isn't flashy. This isn't trying to be cute. It isn't trying to be entertaining. It was truth. It was food for my soul. And that's what I want to hear when I come on a Sunday morning. That's what I want to share with you when I preach on a Sunday morning. Because ultimately, that's what's going to stand the day. So in conclusion, let me say this. God uses weak human vessels to accomplish His work. And isn't that good news? Because that means all of us are qualified. And if you don't feel adequate, that's a good thing, because you aren't adequate. I'm not either. No one is except God. And it is God who by His grace works in us. And what Paul would share in this passage again is that it is God who leads us in triumph. Always when we follow Him. And it's God who opens up doors for ministry wherever we go. And it is God who's the one who makes known His Son through us. And it is God who is the one that we strive to please. His grace is sufficient for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Paul's courage, his perseverance, and his example. And we can learn from it today as we think about these things. And Father, help us when we think of our own life and the age in which we live in, Help us not to be consumers when it comes to our faith. We kind of pick and choose what we want to believe and let go other things. Who look to be entertained or um, to be kind of, uh, you know, get a wow out of a service or a message or things like that. Because that's not the point. The point is to grow in our faith and to come into a deeper understanding of your word. The point is to live more fully for Christ each and every day in obedience to you and to share that good news with those who have never heard it before. Father, would you help us to do that even today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.